Upsflyer presents Winning in the Nordics with Anneli Nash. Welcome to Winning in the Nordics. I'm your host, Anneli Nash, and I'll meet some of the most interesting marketers, investors, and app developers across the region to learn from their success stories. I'm the founder of AIM4, your partner for digital marketing and growth, and this podcast is a collaboration with Appsflyer. Appsflyer provides mobile marketers with the technology they need to grow their apps and create exceptional user experiences. Daniel Arnstrup is CEO and co-founder of Saver. He founded his first company when he was 19 years old and ever since he's been passionate about tech startups, growth and data-driven sales. Saver is a fintech company that offers a fund-saving platform without high commissions and distribution fees. Saver was founded in 2016 and is the first open platform to return kickbacks. Using their apps, customers can easily manage and keep track of their capital. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm I'm kind of interested here. What makes Saver so unique? Yeah, so we are a retail investment app. And uh, we offer mutual funds at a lower fee than our competitors. Uh, And we do this by returning the kickbacks on the funds. So typically, when you invest into a mutual fund, you pay about 1% to 2% in annual management fee. And the one that sells you that fund, the distributor, they usually keep about half of that in kickbacks. Uh, and this creates a very weird market dynamic. And we are the first to kind of switch the business model so that we return that kickback to you as an investor. So therefore, literally cutting your fees in half. And then we charge a kind of flat platform fee that is uh, 0.09%, so nine basis points. It is a very low fee. Uh, and the important thing is that we charge that no matter what products you own. So the problem with kickbacks is that you, you as a distributor or platform, you make more money the more expensive fund you sell to the investor. And that's the whole kind of conflict of interest. And that's why investment advisors they they like they recommend the most expensive funds because they make more money. We make the same money no matter if you invest in index funds or actively managed funds. Uh, so that's we were the first in, in the Swedish market to launch with that model. I, I really like that, especially since I've been owning mutual funds for quite a while. I'm very happy to see that change. But um, I mean. You aren't that old of a company and uh, your competitors are the biggest banks in Sweden and you're handling money. How did you get people to move their money from the biggest banks to you guys when you started off? Yeah, I think um, like the, the number one thing you have to tick off when you're in fintech or as you say, handling money is the trust. And as you said, it's, it's of course really tough as a new brand. What we did was that we kind of created strong alliances with partners that had a lot of track record and had solid brands, uh, solid um, brands, and we kind of piggybacked on them when it came to security and trust uh, before we were able to kind of build our own trust and our own brand. Um, so I think that was one key, but. At the same time, I would say that the Swedish market and the Nordic market in general is quite 
like we have a high trust in the financial system. Like it's not a unique selling point to be safe no. in Sweden. Like it's it's in the opposite. It's more like a hygiene thing. Yeah. Like everyone just assumes that your your money is safe in Sweden. Uh, if you were in Spain, like then. Like that could be kind of like a selling point. Like people are more skeptical to trusting banks or trusting new financial services. So that's a different thing. But in Sweden, it's kind of it's not that it's not that big of a thing. No. Like like if you were to fail on it, yeah, then it's a one strike policy. Like <laughs> like you can't like you you can't mess up not even once because then your then your trust is is out. Yeah. But until then, I think generally we're very open to trusting new services. Yeah, I I, I can see that as well. Uh, Though I think you did have a good strategy there with the partners uh, because it at least emphasized the trust you really had, but it's more trust and safety if we can split those two. Hmm. So the money being safe maybe is one thing when Hmm. you say say, tell it like that, but uh, the trust maybe is something else like, the commitment you're making with returning the kickbacks, for example, will that be met? Mm. Uh, maybe, yep. like if we can split them somehow. But you, being a fintech startup, you also have other kind of challenges, especially with the money handling. I'm thinking like regulations, privacy, uh, probably system requirements, all of that. Um, is that unique for Sweden or is it like a more European thing? No, I would say, I mean, it's fintech is definitely, it's a different beast Uh <laughs> I've been. I, I come from tech, general tech and product. I just love building digital products. Uh, my my previous venture was in built a portfolio of, of uh, health and fitness apps. And like, if you build an app where you do like sit ups and push ups, like <laughs> there's there's like there's no regulatory environment. <laughs> like there's no one can tell you, oh, do you you did this wrong or whatever. Like. There's really no control. Like the difference to go into into fintech is, yeah, it's monumental. So, and I think you often see fintech. It's it's half finance, it's half tech. Yeah, and you can often see where the founders come from. Like if you if the founders come from finance, they have a background in banking or so forth. They're really good at that, and they come with us. They build a company with special uh, a certain type of culture from that. Then uh, they have to learn about how to building, uh, how to build products, how to how to work with tech, how to work with developers, how to do growth hacking, all of these things that maybe uh, the tech entrepreneurs used to, and that is a challenge for them. Uh, and and for me and my co-founder, who both come from the tech perspective. I mean, it's it, it's a challenge to adapt to the regulatory environment and kind of try to balance that in the company culture is 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 really hard. So it it is a like you you can't just look at it as kind of a like a wet blanket or everything like that. That's not that's not good. You you have to find ways to really integrate it into culture and make sure that you are as effective as possible because it's part of the game. Mm. Like it's it's uh if you want to build a fintech company, 
you're kind of playing the startup game on, on a higher difficulty level in one way. <laughs> like, so don't start with the fin- fintech startup. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are different types of fintech. I think uh, what we're doing with uh, financial instruments, like it's 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 well regulated. It's it's kind of the toughest. But then you have, I mean, there's different payments and there's loans. They all have a subset of different uh, laws and regulations. So. I think there's some is harder than others. Yeah. If if you would be a bit uh, concrete, like would you say it's more on you know the tech stack, or is it the people you needed to hire, or is it like uh, having more uh, lawyers or like uh, compliance people? Like yeah, you you I mean you definitely need a lot. You have a lot more legal and compliance both uh, hires, but costs in general. Mm. Everything costs a lot more. I think that is. I mean. The key is to build a culture where it doesn't feel like two different, like opposite sides that mm. try, try to kind of clash within the organization. <laughs> it can't be that like product just want to move fast and then they get annoyed because compliance is constantly stopping them, and vice versa. Like you have to kind of integrate that into one culture. Mm where compliance feels like, okay, we're here to help product to build things between the boundaries. And like product also needs to respect the the rules of the game. Like they need to understand compliance and they need to know that there's a special process when building FinTech uh, like user experience. Mm. So I think, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's different. Yeah. Do you think, or maybe they already started, but do you think the banks will start copying you? or? Yeah, so we were first in Sweden with doing this, but we did see in a lot of other European markets that this has already happened. So that was kind of one clue to how this would play out. What happened in the other European markets was that uh, there came regulation that said, okay, now you're not allowed to receive kickbacks anymore. Then the whole market changed. Mm. We saw that this is going to happen in Sweden. There will be, uh, I'm saying this as a certainty now, It's but but uh, most likely there will be a ban on kickbacks in Sweden sooner or later. Uh, and we saw an opportunity, okay, let's let's do this first and let's do it before it became becomes a regulatory ban. So when it does become a regulatory ban, we have the pole position. Then we are the brand that is that is associated with this model. So we knew that there will be copies, at least if it were successful, which it luckily uh, did. So we also knew that okay, we have X amount of time to build that pole position, so that when number two and number three comes, they will be known as the copies. Mm. Um, and uh, it took about it took longer than I thought. It took two years before the first kind of startup copy happened and and six months later number three uh so uh now there are startup copies but the uh, the big banks have not yet changed their model and that is simply because not simply but i mean one thing is they they are big banks and nothing i mean it's it's a freighter ship that needs to (laughs) change the course um but it's they are also making so much uh, profits on these kickback products that it's tough for them to cut that sooner than they than they need. Like they're gonna do it when it's really painful and they have to. 
Yeah. Until then, I mean, it's kind of like like quarter capitalism, and where it's say like there, it's it's very easy to be short term yeah. in these types of, of of companies. Like maybe it's long term, it's the best thing to already switch this model, but on a short term basis, they're gonna just say no to a bunch of money. Yeah. Uh, that's it's that's a tough decision to make. Yeah, they're not ready for it. Like I, I know from um I used to be on the board for the Swedish Stock Association, Axis yep. Barna. Yeah. Uh and I know from their history that they have done a few things where they have challenged the banks and the banks have eventually copied them. Yep. And that usually happened then with like the more modern banks doing it mm. first. Have they started to? Uh, I'm talking Avanza or Nordnet here on the Swedish market. Yeah, so Avanza Nordnet is our two most comparable peers in Sweden and that's where we take all our customers from. Mm. Uh, so they have already taken customers from the big banks mm. and now we're taking customers from Avanza Nordnet. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. that's kind of the funnel. Um, so yeah, I think they are the two, they will definitely react before the big banks. Yeah. Uh, but they're in the same position. They're both listed companies. They both make a lot of profits from these products. I mean, that, that's the funny thing. In Sweden, kind of Avanza Nordnet is almost uh, considered like fintechs. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like you look at, and that's because they build good products and, and they are a lot more modern than the banks. Yeah. But they were founded in 19, 1999 and 1997. Mm. Like, it's not really, it's not really uh, startups at least. No. Uh, I mean, and these are built on old, old, legacy infrastructure tech stacks i mean they they're getting pretty fat and happy as well so i'm not that worried that they will really move that fast uh faster than the banks but there's there's something in between yeah so uh, it's interesting listening to you now because um there are kind of two things uh, pulling from different sides here we both have the fact that uh, launching a fintech product uh, is uh, playing the higher game in the startup world and there's a lot to kind of uh, do when you have higher cost and uh, all of that but I guess it's also kind of uh, a slower market in that case I mean mm. since you know the competitors also are facing the same challenges and the all the, the bigger banks they uh, they have this uh, so much uh, debt when it comes to the tech stack mm. uh, so I, I guess if you are fast paced you can kind of create a lot of disruption yeah now I think the the entry barrier for the first, entry barriers is 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 bigger. Yeah. Uh, which means of course you have fewer competitors. Mm. Uh, and um, if you if you do manage to get everything up and running and you find your product market fit and you solve all of the uh, kind of regulatory challenges and so forth, then then you're in a good position. And I think. Uh, that's why I mean fintech valuations have been really high, and it's really I mean it's that's because the addressable market, if you make it, is so big. Yeah. Um, the addressable market is big, and it's pretty hard to copy it. I mean, uh, you, you as you saw with us, it, it took two years at least before there was a copy. So, yeah, I think it's it's tougher. But if you break through, yeah, then then like the this, it's the ceiling is pretty high. 
on addressable market is big. Yeah, cool. We're going to talk a bit later about how to launch in different uh, markets and how you're thinking about that. But now let's talk a bit about breaking through because uh, one of the things I was most uh, kind of inspired looking from aside uh, when you guys came were you were always in the news. So tell me, what was your go-to-market strategy? PR definitely was core to the go-to-market strategy. So... I mean, we, as any startup, we had been working for a long time. We have hit dead ends with the product and we tried things. And at the time of the the product launch that is Saver today, we were only five employees. Uh, we, raised, uh, we raised some money and then you raised extension round and bridge round and you try to find your product market fit. And yeah, so we didn't have a lot of marketing capital when we were about to launch this, and we were only, as I said, five employees by the time. But our strategy was that we knew that there were a lot of journalists, financial journalists, that's been talking for decades about how bad the kickback system is for the consumer on why this needs to change. And this is some of the most prominent financial journalists of the most prominent newspapers in, in the country. So... Our strategy was to kind of create strong alliances with them. And what we did was that, first of all, we built this product under complete secrecy for a better part of a year. And when the product was ready to launch, 24 hours before we launched, we called one of the most prominent journalists, uh, Hans Bolander at Dagens Industry, and we told him that in 24 hours, we're going to change the mutual fund industry in Sweden for good. And we're going to do it with something that you've been advocating for a long time. Uh, and we gave him an exclusive interview. Uh, and then the, the day after, we literally sat and kind of refreshed the page of Dagens Industry until the article was launched. And then we launched the product at the same same minute. And it absolutely exploded. Like the uh, yeah, the growth that hit us, we were not ready for it. Uh, and we were definitely not ready for kind of uh, the effect we had on, on the market and the industry. So there was a lot of politics that came out of that. And there was definitely a lot of strong forces that wanted us gone mm. like immediately gone <laughs> <laughs> and then we went into survival mode which was okay we need to gain enough traction and get public enough that if you want to take us down it's gonna hurt your your public kind of image mm. so like we need to we need to get it out there that what we're doing is the best thing for the consumers and also, uh, I mean, uh, the Swedish SEC Finance Inspection, and they had also been talking for a long, long time. Like uh, they also wanted these kickbacks gone. So we needed like regulatory backing. Uh, we needed like grassroots consumers, like really like this is good for the market. When we needed journalists to back us. And then hopefully we could reach a point where these forces that wanted us gone like they they saw too much of a risk to kind of work against us so yeah we talked with a lot of journalists and that's where we kind of really 
uh, get into a lot of press and, and became a really big phenomenon, what we were doing. And then we actually applied a, a and the, the next stage of that growth strategy mm-hmm. was that what we did was that instead of doing conventional call to action performance marketing, where we, as you do Facebook and you have downloaded our app because we have uh, better uh, rates on funds, da 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 da. Basically, the only marketing we did was that we redistributed or sponsored all of the pre- uh, all of the news articles that was written about us. Mm. So instead of paying for call to action ads, we were just we were just pushing the, the articles. articles about us. Yeah. Um, and directly linking paying for linking traffic to news sites. Uh but this created kind of like an so our our kind of marketing funnel was that we we created like an, uh, a funnel where you just get more and more of these articles and created a bubble, which apparently you've been inside that bubble. I've been so inside that bubble. <laughs> a bubble where it felt like everyone was writing about us all the time. Yep. They were, but those those news articles, they, they, they fade away after 24, 48 hours. Yeah. Then they're gone. But we created this kind of uh, retargeting bubble where we just reused all of these articles and we used the credibility of those articles and those journalists kind of to to make them sell yeah. what we were doing. Instead of saying it ourselves, they were saying it. Mm. And that created the trust much faster than 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 doing the conventional call to action marketing. Yeah. And how long is it since you launched? Uh, two and a half years ago now. Yeah. So, so how long did you manage to live in that bubble? And like, <laughs> what has happened since then? I would say it took us a, a, at least six months until we were kind of felt safe from that perspective. Uh, and after that, it, kind of the tides turned. Like when everyone realized, okay, they're here to stay. Then it completely the sentiment completely changed, and and people wanted to work with us instead of against us, and we created good relationships with all the fund companies, and we have good relationships with the banks now as well. So yeah, that was a sentiment change when they realized like, okay, the genie is out of the bottle, like this is gonna happen. Uh, there will be just additional copies, like there's no way we can work against this. Um, so yeah, it, it took at least six months. Uh, since then, we've just been scaling up. Now we're 55 employees instead of five, um, and and raised a fair amount of capital. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, so striken by this strategy. I love it. Did you did you knew that this was gonna happen, or was it a bet? Like, had you seen it somewhere else, or? Yeah, on the on the PR strategy, I can't remember the exact company, but I did read a blog article, kind of like a growth hacking blog article from some San Francisco company uh, that were doing this. So we can't take full credit, but I I, I read it in, in some kind of growth hacking forum blog uh, about using this kind of redistribution of, of, of PR. Um, so yeah, it, w- it was part of the strategy, definitely. Yeah. Can we also just go back a bit to that day? Because you said you weren't really ready for it. But no. can, can you share any details? It sounds like such a story. Yeah. So, so I mean, 
I can't mention any names because of bank secrecy. <laughs> <laughs> but like we were just kind of just looking in the user database in like real time when we launched. And we're seeing like all of these yeah, important people in the industry just becoming customers like within within an hour of launching. And it was like 9, 10 p.m. in the evening. And it was like, yeah, it spread really fast and we saw that like there's a lot of there's a lot of people looking at this right now that's yeah. pretty influential so yeah that would that was uh, and the upcoming kind of week after that was just because because what we did was we knew that if we were to ask for permission from everyone if we were allowed to do this mm. it would never happen like we had kind of like a i wouldn't completely compare it to the kind of Spotify uh, record label kind of situation but it was we couldn't really prove it was a good thing for the mark for them until we've actually launched it um, and we kind of need to break that kind of mom- moment 22 kind of thing mm. um, so yeah we did launch without asking for permission <laughs> from a lot of stakeholders <laughs> and uh, that did um yeah that did raise some questions uh and the day after a lot of people called <laughs> and they asked us like why are our products on our platform your platform for half the cost and especially like the problem it became uh, very apparent for the banks because what the thing is the banks uh, they have also fund companies, or they, they own their own fund company. All of the banks have their own funds, yeah. and the fund companies they distribute through a lot of different channels. But of course, the bank itself sells their own funds a lot yeah. to their own customers. Yes. And what happened was that suddenly, overnight, we would offer their fund products at half the fee that they were offering their own customers. Fantastic. Yeah. So you could imagine that maybe a lot of customers were calling and saying, hey, I own your funds uh, through you at this price, but now I can buy your funds for half the fee over here. Like, why is that? And how does that make sense? And that put the banks in a pretty awkward position. Uh, We knew that. Uh, And of course, the yeah. That was a, a development they didn't like. They didn't like it, but they also knew that it was going to happen. So it was no surprise. It was a surprise that it happened that day in November 2019. But of course, they knew it was a matter of time. Yeah. So uh, looking back, I mean, uh, if we take this uh, quote, like, uh, uh, don't ask for permission, <laughs> ask for forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> but except for uh, that, or maybe, I mean, you shouldn't have changed anything. But looking back, is there anything you would have done differently? Yeah, I mean... It did work out, but in another parallel universe, it didn't. <laughs> so it's really hard. But I think, yeah, we, we, I mean, there were definitely partners that we could have maybe involved in a different way. And they would have listened to us and they would have been partners and, uh, and alliances from day one, I think. But I mean, it was, we didn't come from the industry. Like we had no connections, we had no network, we didn't know all of these people. We came from tech, um, 
I mean, I think that's can maybe also a bit of like Spotify. They didn't, they weren't ex Warner or ex Sony Music. Like they also came from tech, and they they also underestimated maybe how hard it was to build that relationship with record label, and it took a couple of years more than they thought. And uh, yeah, that was kind of our situation as well. So yeah, I I don't know if we could have done it differently. Um, but uh, yeah, if we had the connections and we could have gone a different route, I, I think so. But looking at that, it may actually be good that you didn't have the connections because you didn't burn any relationships because you <laughs> no. didn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't say we had nothing to lose, but we had a, a few years of hard work and uh, and our. Uh, risk-willing investors' money, of course. Of course, we had things to lose, but yeah, it was definitely a bet on, and uh, this one worked out. Yeah, nice. So you actually mentioned before that when you launched, you were five people and you went after the big banks. How did you do this on five people? I mean, I can only assume that the bank's doing exactly the same thing as you, or at least 200 on that function. Yeah, no, we really needed to nail the minimum viable product um and we quickly understood that this value chain is a really big value chain to buy and invest into mutual funds like you need a value chain of a lot of partners and infrastructure and uh, yeah so we needed to focus what we were good at and that was building the customer kind of facing customer building the user experience building the app so we focused on that and uh, yeah, two founders plus one front end, one back end, and one UX designer. That's five people. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all you need. No, I mean, I yeah. Looking back at it, I don't really. It took a it took a few years, of course, to put uh, get everything in place, but um, it, it worked out. But uh, yeah, we we found the right partners. I think that was key because if you take too big of a bite into fintech, like. Oh, we we should build this infrastructure ourselves because then we'll have bigger uh, gross margins. Or we should do this because long term we'll have more control. Like there are always ways to grow into that. Uh, and maybe um, instead we like let's make compromises on on maybe our gross margins to start off with because we know when you reach scale we can we can change this and we can add this part to our own value chain instead and we can renegotiate this deal or as soon as we have leverage like we knew we had no leverage <laughs> at all <laughs> like we were, in a, we were not even launched like so we just let's let's find setups that makes it possible for us to launch and then uh, when we reach scale i think the real value is when you own the customer yeah like long term like if you own the customer then the tables will turn and then the partners will want to work with you because you, that is the real gold so that's kind of how we did it we reached quickly reached large volume of customers uh, and then we used that leverage to find the best kind of setups uh, that gave us margins and gave us a scalable kind of tech and infrastructure. I mean, that's so good. But uh, when it comes to like web versus app, mm. how did you think there? Yeah, so both me and my co-founder have been building app 
companies, native app companies for better part of our careers. But we actually made, a, a compared to other saving fintechs, we made a bit unconventional decision to build web. Uh, so we we started with building uh, desktop and mobile web. That was primarily, I think, yeah, it, it started with us, we looked at kind of the acquisition funnel in a different way. So we started there, but now we, we packaged that into, so now we're iOS and Android, uh, mobile web and desktop web. We still acquire a lot of customer through mobile web. So our saver.com uh, is the customer acquisition channel and then post acquisition, then they go to the app. Mm. So you have the app for the recurring kind of interaction mostly, but we funnel kind of acquisition through web. Have you tried uh, running them straight to the app and like find that the mobile works better or is it? Yeah, we we, we have. I think, I mean, uh, kind of the growth strategy that we started with, I mentioned with the PR and yes. so forth, that kind of, we saw that acquisition funnel, they read about us or they heard about us. And then they Googled us. Mm. Like that was the funnel we had. Like you, or you just like you saw the the kind of the thumbnail or the link to the to the news article on Facebook. You clicked. You read the article on uh, Dagens Industry, uh, but there was no link to us because that was not a bought article. It yeah. wasn't native. Like there mm. was no there was no outlink to us. Yeah. Uh, then you Googled us, and there we picked up. I uh, picked you up and you and we took you to to our mobile uh, or our, our our web and yeah. that's where we had the sign up funnel and then when you signed up uh then okay download our, our app for easier login so that kind of that just yeah stayed with us I think uh now we're of course experimenting with sending directly to the the app and working on that kind of onboarding experience but uh yeah I think it's it's a bit of a legacy thing, but it, it worked for us then and it's, it's still working. Yeah. Um, you also said uh, now earlier that you focused on a very like small, tight segment of fintech or in this case, the mutual funds. And so I guess eventually, even though they are very slow, the banks will maybe come and compete with you here. So what are you doing now? Like, how are you developing the offering? Yeah. So we, what we're having now is that which we we've have, we did publicly announced when we did our latest fundraising is that we are moving into equities and we are becoming a full-on investment platform with all types of assets. So directly competing with Advanced and Ornest complete offering. And that is, of course, a really big decision. We could have stayed in that niche vertical that we knew worked and we had this unique offering, but I think we kind of went to market with a price like uh, our USP. And I think you need to have a kind of a contingency plan if you go with price as your sole offering. Like either you fully commit to pricing all the way, you're always going to be the cheapest. And if you're always going to be the cheapest, you need to have some unique that's like why why are you allowed to have lower price than anyone else is it because you have better tech 
Is it because you are more efficient on your back end or your back office? Like, why can't anyone else go cheaper? Uh, and scale is, of course, another thing. If you have a bigger scale, you can be cheapest. Like, so we thought, like, then we really need to commit to that. But the problem would be if someone with bigger scale suddenly, like overnight, like, okay, we're going to be even cheaper than you are. And we have 20x the scale. Uh, so we can just kind of outrun you. So we knew that let's, we go to market with price, but to win long-term, we need to win on product as well. Mm. Uh, so that was kind of always the idea. Uh, and now we are expanding to really become, our focus is to be truly the best product for investing. Mm. So uh, the two biggest competitors, Avanza Nornet, Nornet, is known to be for traders and Avanza, I would say, is for everyone. Like they do a little bit of everything. We are building a platform for investors and focusing on that. And uh, yeah, so now a lot of work into building these, uh, adding uh, stocks and equities basically and ETFs. Uh, So that is uh, the biggest uh, product right now. And then we need to can't comment on exactly what we're building, but uh, we're we're uh, uh, it's going to be a, a different selling point than just price, as we have mutual funds. I mean, it, it all it's all investing. I mean, a lot of our customers have funds and equities, and that's kind of the problem right now because a lot of people want that on the same platform. We're co- currently only addressing to us as only mutual funds, or they're willing to have mutual funds at our platform and they have their equities at another platform by having everything in one we yeah we increase our addressable market significantly uh, that makes it worth it yeah but so if i only have stocks today yeah. why would i put them on your platform like is there a usp for that yeah so we are building a, uh, a user experience tailored for investors and when i say investors i say the ones that think it's fun to stock pick the ones who they like to spend time like finding investments reading about them following them and there we think there's a a a much better user experience to build like if you were to look at any of the bank's products or avanza or nornet it's a ton of financial information and numbers and it's pretty complex but like there's very little information about the actual company you're investing in. Like what do they do? Understanding that company and and and, and even after that investment, kind of following that uh, and and uh, feeling like an owner. Uh, so we are um, looking at um, a tailor-made experience just for investing. And and uh, if you're not trying to cater also to this kind of fast speculative trading day trading uh you can build a cleaner more focused experience uh mm. so yeah uh hopefully that that will um, so it's like to the long-term investors to the long-term investors exactly yeah. so we're limiting our market uh, in that way but it creates a a more a clearer product experience and a clearer brand for what we stand for. And that's what we, I mean, our customers today are also 
investors, yeah. about investors in mutual fund. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, now you're on the Swedish market and uh, uh, I guess, well, you have quite uh, uh, some um, exploring to do here with the stocks and the equities and, and stuff like that. But like, if you would go to another market, have you started to think about it, how you would go about it, especially uh, with what you said before, that uh, different European countries have different regulations and probably different competitors and, uh, mm. well, different uh, levels of trust and safety. Have you thought about that? Yeah, so, I mean, we're definitely uh, exploring new markets. And um, I would say, I mean, there's there's some pros and cons. I mean, um, there are a lot of uh, like kind of uniform regulations through Europe uh, within the EU. EU. So that's that's fairly fairly okay. Um, it's also when you have your licenses, your financial licenses um, granted in one European market, you can passport the same licenses to other markets, and that's a fairly quick process. So that way, it's okay. But there's a lot of other differences between markets, uh, how the customers behave, um, what type of investments they do. Like in Sweden, we do a lot of mutual fund investments. Like it's, it's really big. Um, but just going to Denmark, it's quite different. They invest in a different way. If you go to Germany, they they hold a lot of cash and interest and, and bonds uh, typically, or at least... Uh, uh, historically, they haven't invested as much in, in equities. Now they are. So you have to kind of more look at the customer behavior. But it is a much, of course, bigger process to expand this type of fintech companies than fitness apps. Sit-up <laughs> <laughs> uh, is a sit-up no matter where you are in the world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, that is a, it's a different ballgame. And also, I mean, the addressable markets is so big like when you have a smaller addressable market, then you would, I mean, it makes sense to go international faster to expand your market. I mean, Avanza, I mean, it's a, I don't know, latest valuation, maybe a, a 5 billion euro listed company. And I think they have something like six or 7% market share in Sweden. Mm, like yeah. it, it's it's hard to fathom how, how big these addressable markets actually are. Yeah. So uh, we're going to wrap up, but I always like to ask, what should I have asked you that I haven't asked you? Yeah, so I think um, I've been talking a bit about kind of, or it's doing a kind of a tip to to kind of entrepreneurs if you're looking at a, a business idea. I would say what what went well for us was that as I'm, talked a bit about is that we didn't come from finance. And I think that I have talked about the downsides of that as well, but um, I think on the pro side is that you truly look at problems in a different lens and a different way. Like when we saw the opportunity to, when we looked at the kind of pricing of funds and the kickback system, like our first question was, like, why has no one done this before? Mm. Like the classic question that everyone kind of stumbles upon. When you see something that is too good to be true, you ask yourself, why has no one done this before? And there's a ton of different answers to that question. In many cases, there's a very legit answer to that. And you should listen to that like 
no one has done this because it just doesn't work or you, you know, like but in this case like the answer to that question was that no one has done this because everyone is making too much money and there are just everyone has too much to lose and like no one want to disrupt the system that everyone is so comfy about and when you get that answer that's when it starts to get interesting because then you're onto something okay if, if no one's doing this because they have too much to lose like we have nothing to lose <laughs> as you said I, I don't like we don't come from this industry let's let's stir things up so I think in that way I like and that's how all of the companies I've founded I've never done a company in like a vertical that is like my hobby or something I know everything about is always been like random things like like fitness industry like I never worked in that but like okay let's let's look at it with fresh eyes so I think um, uh, that's just a tip for me just don't be afraid of of, uh, of looking at things you don't understand that could be that could be to your benefit yeah, I, I would just want to add to that, that that is, I wouldn't say it's just only to start a company, but even like when you want to go to market or uh, launch a new feature or anything, like yeah. always uh, try to explore and do things. Yeah, look at it with fresh eyes and many, if, if you don't have the fresh eyes, then involve someone else. In, if you're at a point where you have starting to get a big team, like try to source ideas and source opinions from people that maybe not normally work with this problem like source uh, feedback from someone at a completely different part of your company just to get uh, kind of this this perspective when you when you're not you're not afraid of asking like the dumb questions like why like why don't you or why is no one doing this yeah um, yeah i love that well, it was very nice to have you here and I hope that our listeners have enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening in to our podcast Winning in the Nordics presented by AppsFlyer. You know where to find us. Subscribe and leave us a review on Apple, Google, Spotify and all good podcast apps.